0: Hey, this is Brendan yourself from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this past week, I was in a conversation with a friend of mine, and we were talking about the last 18. Is it 18 months? I've lost count. The lot of months of COVID. This winter season of COVID. And we were reflecting on it and I said to him, I said, you know, I feel like I'm living out Psalm 1 in real time. I feel like simultaneously, as the winds of this season have been blowing and the temperature is cold and the challenges are great, I have felt simultaneously the chaff blowing off my life and yet the roots of my faith growing deeper. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Psalm 1, it's, it's a famous psalm. It's the, it's the first psalm of 150 poems about Jesus, very, or poems about Jesus ultimately, but poems in the Scripture. And Psalm 1 is called a centering psalm, and it talks about like the way of life and death. And it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then it illustrates what this person is like. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does he prospers. And the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. And I said, you know, I kind of feel like I'm watching that happen in this season of my life. I'm seeing God reveal maybe that my life wasn't quite as substantive as I thought. And there was some chaff in my life that God has been systematically removing from me. I don't know if you can relate to this. But also simultaneously as a person of faith, my roots in him have been grabbing him harder and deeper. And I have seen some ways in which, you know what, my leaf has not withered that I'm an evergreen of of, of sorts, that even in this winter, my faith is here, my devotion to Jesus is here. And I know some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're in this foundational moment where God is kind of separating the chaff from those who will be rooted in Christ Jesus. I believe that's what's happening in the church right now. God is blowing the winds of this season upon His people, not just the world. We've been exposed to it, too, too. But the difference is for those of us who delight in the law of the Lord, those of us who have rooted ourselves in Him, we're seeing, yes, some chaff blow away, like the trees in my yard right now. I have some cedars that there's little dead pieces blowing off, but there's a lot of green that remains. It, it does not wither. And some of you have been experiencing that, seeing some things blown away but also seeing some things be revealed for something true and substantive. And I think that's what God has been doing in this season. Maybe you've used different language, but you've probably felt the same thing. Just the the, the blowing tempest of the hour simultaneously revealing the truth about you, the truth about who you are in Christ Jesus— And there's been a a moment of separating and clarification, if you're like me, you've seen that happen. And it's been painful at times. It's been painful personally. Some been painful relationally. I talked to a friend just this past week, him talking about how this last season has drawn him and his wife closer to Jesus than ever, but some people in his own family have been kind of falling farther and farther away. It's been painful to see that happen. There's this separating happening. There's this clarification happening. And this is something I think the Spirit is doing in the church right now. I believe this is happening not just to you as an individual. It's happening to us as King's Church, and it's happening to the Capital C Church. God is doing a work of refinement. He's separating that which is rooted in him from that which is rooted in the world, and we're seeing it revealed in real time. It's what God is doing. He's refining his church, bringing about deeper character and deeper commitment to him, and he's removing false pseudo-Christianity. That's ultimately what I think is happening right now, that Jesus is moving his church beyond cheap, superficial grace. This understanding of Jesus that basically wants to punch its ticket to heaven with no implications of following him in their day-to-day life. He's moving us past syncretism, this melding and merging of a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and he's calling his church to focus in on him. He's moving the church beyond cheap, simple belief and calling us into discipleship. I believe that Jesus right now is shattering the false idea that being a Christian is simply about believing the right things so that God will bless us right now and ultimately take us to heaven someday. I believe he's taking us beyond forgiveness into transformation. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about how forgiveness is ground zero for the life of faith. Being a person who has received the mercy of Jesus and walks in the flow of his grace is ultimately the, the lifeblood of the person of faith. It's, it's everything, and yet it's not all there is. And a lot of people get hijacked right at that starting point in their Christian life. And they think that following Jesus is just about being forgiven, but it's not. Following Jesus is about having a whole life pursuing after him and watching him transform you little by little, day by day into his image. One of my favorite books is by a guy named Dallas Willard. It's called The Great Omission. And in it, he talks about how easy it is for us as Christians in the West to sort of omit the big part of Jesus' invitation to follow him. He says that there's a quote, I got a few quotes today from Dallas Willard that are going to be helpful for us. But he says this, and this is kind of the condition that I believe that Jesus is dealing with right now in the church in the West. Dallas Willard said, he's, he's since passed away, but he wrote this about 20 years ago now. He said, for at least several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or to intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. He goes on to say that the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ— steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of existence. He nails it in his book, The Great Omission. What he's talking about is in the great commission that Jesus gave his church, Jesus said, hey, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But there's this other part that that Dallas Willard says we've omitted. The second part of that statement, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them transforming their lives. And Willard says, you know what? We've done a great job of making converts and a poor job of making Christians. People who actually will adopt the way of Jesus. He calls them vampire Christians. People who want the blood of Jesus, but don't want the way of Jesus or to walk in his way. And they say, hey, you know what? Thanks for your blood, Jesus. I'll see you in heaven later. But I believe that Christianity, and I believe this is what Jesus is doing in the church right now, is about in God's kingdom invading, the grace of Jesus invading every part of our lives. See, the enemy wants to divide and to get us to compartmentalize our faith, and Jesus wants to transform our whole existence. Just a week ago, myself and a couple doctors from our church sat down on a podcast format. A lot of you saw it. We talked about the vaccine, and it was, a, it was just a, an effort to sort of bring some, you know, trustworthy, brotherly, pastoral information to our church. But we got, a, we got an email response from somebody that just said, hey, basically, in a nutshell, it said, you know, I don't think that, you know, that the vaccine is a pastoral or a theological issue. That, that why are pastors, or what, what's, what, what is, why are you bringing a Christian perspective to this? And I thought, man, if that's not a great example of how we as believers have so easily compartmentalized our faith and we've missed the fact that Jesus wants to invade every part of our lives. The vaccine is a theological issue. How you live is a theological issue. What you do with your time, it's all about following Jesus. He wants to invade every part of our lives. And I believe right now, all this to say... We are in a moment of clarification in the church. I believe that this is a great separation and a clarification that God is right now blowing the winds of this season on us and it is removing the chaff and it is causing us to actually root ourselves deeper into Jesus. You might be feeling simultaneously that pull to root yourself into Jesus and you're seeing things being blown off and taken away. I can assure you as it has been for me, Jesus is looking to invade your life and break you free from lies and deceptions and to remove the chaff and to plant you deeper in him. And I believe one of the primary ways that he is doing it is by taking the church beyond cheap belief and embracing a lifestyle of followership. That Jesus right now is clarifying his call to follow him. And today what I want to do is I want to examine this Word of Jesus where he says, I am the the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to zoom in, and I want to just, in the clearest and simplest terms possible, give you what I believe Jesus is calling us to in its most foundational and fundamental way possible. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What is he inviting us to? What does it mean to go beyond just belief and into followership? There are three things in his statement I want to unpack. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, a little bit of backstory and a little bit of context. This happens in John chapter 14. It does not happen in a vacuum. And what we find is Jesus and his disciples are having the last supper and they're they're having this moment together and he's telling them, hey, I'm going to go for a while. I'm going to be crucified and executed and you're you're going to see some crazy things. I'm going to be going away from you. And instead of understanding what Jesus was ultimately talking about, the disciples start freaking out. They're they're freaking out because Jesus was leaving them. Now it's important for us, we don't see what's really going on here with our Western mindset. It's important for us to realize why they're freaking out. For the disciples, for Jesus to leave them, called into question their whole existence at this point. Because those men who were following Jesus literally left their lives as fishermen, tax collectors, zealots. They left that behind to become disciples of Jesus. And their thinking was, Jesus, if you leave, how on earth am I going to be a disciple? How are we going to get? We can't find the way to where you're going. You need to lead us. You're the rabbi. We're following you. And they're freaking out. But I think it's important that we notice here that for those disciples, and we need to start here because this will help us understand Jesus' statement. For those disciples, they understood themselves as followers. So they're freaking out that Jesus said, I'm leaving, because how are we going to know the way? You have been showing us the way, step by step, day by day. And now if you're gone, well, what are we supposed to do with that? But this gives us an indication and an understanding into what Jesus is getting at in his statement. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what's he getting at? I have three points. They're detailed, but I think they're going to help you today. The first is this. Jesus says, behold, I am the way. Well, what's the implication of that? It's this, that there is a way unto life and unto death, and that Jesus wants us to see in him The path or the practice that brings us to life. His first invitation for us as disciples ultimately is to act like him. To live and move and to emulate him. The way in application, what Jesus is inviting us to is to see him as the master. And we are apprentices. That we're following him. And that's why the first century disciples, that's why Thomas, that's why they're starting to freak out is because they understood that. That you're the master, we're following you, and we're we're here to do what you do. He called them out of their lives, and now they're following him. But for us, we have compartmentalized discipleship into education, into maybe believing the right things, being able to pass a test that, that has a few doctrinal issues. But that is not at all what it means to be a disciple. First and foremost, Jesus says, I'm the way. That there is this way of which that you have to come and follow after me. Discipleship is not just education or information, it's learning how to do what Jesus does in the way that Jesus does it. That's what discipleship is. This past summer, uh, a friend of mine, Daniel, uh, I helped him build a shed in my backyard and by helped I mean I lugged stuff while he did his thing. And it was incredible to watch a master at work. I mean, this guy just knows his way around tools. He's, he can build so fast and so accurately and just pristine. It's incredible to watch. And I just, I just watched and w- tried to learn a little bit as he was doing it. And just got talking to him again about, like, how did you learn to do this so well? And he talked about how he apprenticed under another friend of ours named Dave. And Dave is this, uh, also a master builder. He built this stage that I'm standing on. He actually built this pulpit that I'm preaching from. And he said, I learned from Dave over years and years of practice, watching him and learning from him. And it was incredible to see. And to me, that helps us understand what Jesus had in mind. That the same way that a carpenter apprentices under a master carpenter, we are called to apprentice under the master Jesus, to watch him and to learn his moves and to follow his ways, to emulate him. That's what it means to be a believer. It's actually to be a disciple. To learn the tricks of the trade, so to speak. To walk like he walks. To talk like he talks. To do what he does and to not do what he doesn't do. Jesus saying, I am the way, is an invitation to follow him and live. He's saying, I am the way, or this is the way. Walk in it. There's some implications in that statement, isn't there? I am the way. There's a few of them. Let's, let's think about it for a second. If he says, I am the way, well, first and foremost... That implies that there is a wrong way. That not all ways get to the same place. That this is the right way. He says, this is the way. I am the way. And there are other ways, but it is not the way, is what he's getting at. And this is what Psalm 1 was saying. Blessed is the one who walks not in the way of the the sinner. Right? There is a right path and a wrong path. Proverbs 14 says, there is a path that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. I am the path, he was saying. It also implies that not only is, there, is, it, is he the way, but the way implies what? That, that what we're doing in this process matters. That, that the path that we walk and the way we walk, it matters. Choose wisely as we emulate Jesus. The way also implies that Jesus invites us to what? To follow him to come and follow him. Like when he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. The invitation goes on. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am humble and gentle and I will give you rest. What's he saying? Learn my ways, walk in my way. The big question for all of us according to Jesus is not do you believe the right stuff so you'll go to heaven someday but are you following him down the path that leads to life? Now, some of you are already are saying, wait a minute, I thought we're saved by grace alone. So are you saying that what you do determines whether you'll go to heaven or not? No, that's not what I'm saying. But in one sense, you can fully believe that Jesus died to set us free from the wages of sin, to make a way that we can be reconciled to the Father. He he opened the door. He is the gate. He gained us access freely by his blood. We fully believe that. But that does not determine whether or not you yourself will walk that way. And there is a secondary thing that after you believe that Jesus died and opened the door for you to be reconciled to God, you have to stand up and start walking and following Him. It's more than just forgiveness. It's about a whole way of life. Dallas Willard goes on in his book to say it like this. I love this statement. It's so revealing. He says, some will say, can I not be saved? That is, get into heaven when I die without any of this, this discipleship thing. Perhaps you can, he says. God's goodness is so great, I'm sure, that he will let you in if he can find any basis at all to do so. But you might wish to think about what your life amounts to before you die, about what kind of person you are becoming, about whether you really would be comfortable. This is huge about whether you would really be comfortable for eternity in the presence of one whose company you have not found especially desirable for the few hours and days of your earthly existence. Ouch! What a statement. And he is, after all, one who says to you now, follow me. You see, the call is for us to follow him. Paul says to be imitators of Christ. Paul says, copy me as I copy Jesus. Put on the new life, it said last week. Build your whole life. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears my words and puts them into, say it in the chat, practice, say it at West, puts them into practice. It's like the wise man who built their life on the rock. You see, Jesus, in his invitation, when he says he's the way, he's inviting us. It's about our doing. I'll say it like this, to be a Christian is to try to endeavor, not to earn, but to endeavor to live the way Jesus showed us how to live. Like, hear the word of the Lord right now, church. I believe that the spirit right now, this isn't in my notes, let me just prophesy for a minute. I believe that the spirit right now is bringing war against the lie of the devil that says you can believe in Jesus and it can have no implications on your life. You're going to be just fine. That is a lie. We are called to follow Jesus, to actually leave the old life and to, like Paul says, be crucified with Christ and the life I now live in the body. I live through faith in the the one who gave himself up for me. I follow him. I, I, I forget what's behind and I press on to, to, fo- to follow him. It, this invitation of Jesus calls the whole of our life into question. What you do with your time, how you manage your relationships, what you do in and with your career, your family, your identity, your sexuality, your money, your leisure. It's all discipleship issue. It's all an issue of followership. Everything that we do, we are called to practice the way of Jesus. To be practitioners of the way. Some of you Star Wars nerds, you've been watching Mandalorian. And the Mandalorians, they have a very clear cut way and they say, this is the way. They stole that from us. Christians are the original people who were literally called the people of the way. Before you and I were called Christians, if you go back far enough, before that word was invented, we were called the people of the way. We lived so differently that everyone saw it that, that, that wow, they're, this, they're just living a different way. They're the people of the way. That's who we're called to be. Let me ask you the question. Are you an apprentice? Do you see yourself as an apprentice, someone learning to follow Jesus, emulating him, trying to be like he is, to respond like he responds, to speak how he speaks, to walk how he walks, to go where he goes, to say what he'd say. How are you doing at your apprenticeship? You know, there's, a, there's an author I love uh, named Malcolm Gladwell, and he wrote a book called Outliers, and some of you heard this before. This is where this came from. He said that basically for anybody to become an expert in any given field, it takes about 10,000 hours of focus. On that, on that field. And I, I'm always humbled by that, because there's a couple fields in my life, like I've probably spent 10,000 hours preparing and preaching sermons at this point in my life, doing it for 20 years, full-time for about a decade. But I wonder sometimes, have I spent 10,000 hours actually practicing following Jesus? Like, are... are how Are you an expert in following Jesus? Some of you have been following Jesus for 40 years, but you haven't given 10,000 hours to him. I believe that Jesus right now is calling out us to be expert Christians. Not in some legalistic, you know, pharisaical way, trying to make people feel bad about the, them not living up to our... No, that we would just walk and live and move. you ever been around someone who's proficient They aren't insecure about it at all. They're just different. They're secure in their proficiency. What would it be like in Halifax or in West St. John or in Charlottetown if a growing multitude of expert Christians who were just amazing at being like Jesus everywhere they went, what would happen if people started seeing Jesus-like people every single day? I, I think it would be infectious, wouldn't it? It'd be incredible. This is what Jesus is getting at when he says, I am the way. He's inviting us to follow him, literally follow him, not just believe, but follow after him. He also said, I am the truth. I am the way and I am the truth. Let me give you my point and then we'll break it down. When Jesus says, let's behold his proclamation. When he says, I am the truth, the implication is this, that there is such a thing as reality and truth And there are lies, and there is right, and there is wrong, objectively. No qualms about it. There's no debate. There's no spectrum. There is truth, and there are lies. And Jesus sets himself up, and he says, I am the truth. Now, when Thomas was freaking out that Jesus was leaving him, one of the reasons he was freaking out was because Jesus was their teacher. And Jesus knew right from wrong, and he was so smart, and he'd witnessed. I mean, those disciples literally had given themselves to Jesus in such a way that they determined that everything this man says is right. Everything he says is right. And so I don't even need to think for myself. He can think for me. I just got to ask him. And that's why they started freaking out. They determined Jesus is always right. He is, I mean, he's just at a higher plane than the religious rulers. He saw them, humble them. He taught, it said, as someone with authority. He saw Jesus not just break, like, their intellectual rules. He saw Jesus break laws of physics, laws of biology. Like, Jesus just walked at his own altitude, flew at his own altitude. And so they're freaking out because they'd seen Jesus. He knows the truth. And Jesus corrects them. He's like, no, I don't know the truth. I am the truth. And then he goes on to promise the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. What does that mean? You know what the Holy Spirit's job is? To lead you into all truth. Who is all truth? Jesus. His claim to be the truth. Well, there's some implications we need to consider here. First is this. And I said it in my point. There is truth. And there are lies. Truth is not relative. Truth is not subjective. Let me just preach to the powers for a minute. Truth is reality, whether you like it or not, whether your feelings line up with it or not. Truth is not consulting how you feel. Truth is not consulting your opinions. It is immovable, and it will show itself in time. Reality doesn't adjust itself around our illusions and delusions as much as we wish it did. And as much as we live in a time where we want to believe that— I think we live in a time right now where I saw a a quote this week, a, a woman, former New York Times writer, Barry Weiss, she just went on this rant on CNN. It was incredible. She's just like, the world has lost its mind. We're in a time where, you know what, men can say that they're women, and we're in a time where we're calling segregated classrooms progress. We're in a time where up is down, and down is up, and in is out, and out is in, and we are just, we have thrown truth out the window. We live in a time that says, live your truth. Stay true to yourself. Look inward and find your truth. Jesus says, nah, I am the truth. Truth is not in you. I am truth. So that is a massive claim. And if that is brushed, like rubbing against you a little bit, like like hear it for what it is. He is not being gentle with that claim. He is not being politically correct. He is not like saying, yeah, you know, you've got some good ideas too. He's just flat out saying, I am the truth and all other things, all other claims that truth are lies, believe it. That is an intense claim that a lot of people miss, people who even maybe respect Jesus but haven't actually heard what he really says. I was in a conversation uh, a few weeks ago. I had to renew my gym membership at a local gym. And uh, to do that, I had to like go through their whole like quiz about why are you doing this. And the girl asked me, she's like, why you know, why do you care about your health? And I, I answered, you know, because I follow Jesus and I believe that he cares about what I do with my body. And I want to stay healthy as long as I can. And she goes, oh, cool, Jesus. I like some of his stuff. And I, and I, I, I just swallowed and, and said, yeah, Jesus is awesome. I, I encourage you to f- explore him more. But that, to me, just shows the, the ideology that per, like, permeates so many people's mentality about Jesus. That Jesus is just one voice among others. He's a great teacher. He's a good moral teacher. But that is not who he is. He never said he was just one good option among many in the world. He says, I'm the singular truth. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he said it like this. I love this quote. I've read it before. I'll read it again. He says, I am trying here... Speaking about Jesus, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, one on the level with the, with the, like the man who says he is a poached egg— Mike drop. Thank you, Mr. Lewis. I mean, I am the truth is an ultimate, exclusive statement. Jesus is claiming to be the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And the question is, whose word are you believing? And what the Bible and what Jesus is inviting us to is to trust that he is the truth and that in trusting that he is the truth, we will have the life that we really want. The, the, the war that you are in right now is a war of words. Whose words do you trust? If you read your Bible, the world was built by words. Jesus, God said, let there be. And the world was undone. Sin came in through words, through lies, through believing the wrong words. Life and death are a matter of the truth, the words that we believe. The, a matter of getting the right words. Look what the psalmist said in Psalm 1. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Don't trust those words. Don't trust their advice. But the one who delights in the law, the word law there means like the scripture. It means the whole grand story of the scripture. He is blessed. The one who meditates on the law day and night, he is like the tree planted by streams of water. Those who trust the counsel of the wicked are like chaff. Their advice is not true. It cannot stand in the day of testing. But how many of you would testify, maybe even in the chat or at West, you'd just say, you know what? To the degree that I've rooted myself on the truth of Jesus, I have found that foundation to be firm even in this season of trial and testing. It's incredible when you, when you plant yourself in Jesus and you do find that he's, he is who he says he is. I think that millions of people right now are waking up to the fact that truth is not relative, and that the council of the wicked is producing chaff results. I think there's more and more people waking up to that, and you start doing some of the data and start looking at some of the, the data in sort of modern ideology. We're starting to see through it. I mean, I, we, we did the Day of Truth and Reconciliation a few weeks ago, and I'm all for that. I'm all for truth and reconciliation. My issue with it is this. Who defines truth? Does the government define truth? Do the wounded define truth? Who, who defines truth? Who defines reconciliation? And I think that there's more and more people in this hour in the West saying, you know what, I need something true. I need something better than the counsel I've been getting. It is producing chaff, and I'm tired of it, and I'm frustrated, and I'm afraid, and I need something tangible to build my life on. And we're seeing people start to come to the end of themselves, even as the ideology of our day is proving to be chaff. Happiness is at an all-time low. Meanwhile, self-indulgence is at an all-time high. Divorce and family brokenness and trauma is at an all-time high, even as sexual freedom is at all-time high. Sexual addiction is at an all-time high, even as liberation, sexual freedom and liberation is at, like, what, I think it sounds like slavery, You're starting to see a growing tide, a rising tide of people say there's got to be something more substantive and true than my truth. My truth is chaff. CNN's truth is chaff. Fox News' truth is chaff. I need real, substantive, immovable truth. And there is a rising tide of people who are feeling that. I was... uh, at a place I came out of a store not too long ago, and a gentleman followed me out. He knew who I was, and so he said, Hey, man, hey, wait. And I turned around, and he goes, Hey, if I, like, if I, like come to your church sometime, can I just do that? Can I just show up? And I was like, Yeah, man, sh- you can. We would love that. And he goes, can I, can I bring my family, too? I'm like, Even better. We would love you to come. That's when, like, a fish jumps in the boat, you know, fish, for fishers of men. It was amazing. And he came, and I said, and he goes, Well, the reason I'm asking is, I'm just, I'm tired of the answers I've been given. And I, there's got to be something true there has to be something more substantive than, than the, the ways that I'm, I'm finding, trying to find life. And it was incredible to hear him talk. And I left that conversation. I felt the Lord just say, there are thousands of people like that in St. John, thousands of people like that in Halifax, thousands of people like that in Charlottetown. There is a rising tide of people who are realizing the counsel of the wicked is chaff, but the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord is the truth that actually leads unto life. And that is what Jesus is inviting us to. Whose ideas, whose framework about reality do you trust? For Christians, it's literally Jesus. My default setting as a disciple is that Jesus is right about everything. He's right about everything. The scripture is right about everything. Even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it, it's right about everything. I am a disciple and I humbly yield myself and say, your word is true. Teach me your word. Help me understand. Holy Spirit, give me understanding. Help my mind and heart to believe even as you've sa- in what you've said. Here's the invitation. Jesus invites us to the truth, being himself. He's coming at our thinking. So not only is the call of discipleship about our doing, but it's about our, our acting. It's about our thinking. To be Christian is to align my intellect with the genius of Jesus. I love that. Yes, I do. I wrote that. <laughs> it's to align my intellect with the genius of Jesus. Like to think the way he thinks. And to let him speak into my life in every moment and every day. Jesus, let me say it like this. Jesus is my truth. My goal is to stay true, not to myself, but to stay true to Jesus. Jesus is is my framework. Jesus is my paradigm. Jesus is my worldview. Jesus gives me insight. Jesus gives me hindsight. Jesus gives me foresight. Jesus is my understanding. He is the language through which I interpret the world. Jesus is the blueprint. He is the schematic. He is the teacher and I am the student. And the Bible invites us to put on the mind, of, to take the mind of Christ. Romans 12 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus, teach us to think differently. Let me ask you this question. Whose word are you shaped by? Are you walking in the counsel of the wicked, or are you meditating day and night, holding on? I love that word meditating. It means murmur, chew. In the Hebrew, it means chew. Like, I'm just, I've just got it in my mouth. I'm ingesting it. I'm taking it in. I'm walking it out in real time. Whose word are you shaped by? Whose word do you believe? What word of truth is your authority? Jesus says, I am the truth. And if you'll follow me, you, you have to surrender to my genius. Surrender your intellect to the genius of Jesus. Last one, and we'll wrap up. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father, to to life, to eternal life, reconciliation with God. No one comes to heaven except through me. I am the door. I am the narrow gate. I am the way of salvation. I am the life. Here's my final point. Behold Jesus' proclamation. I am the life. The implication is this. The good life, eternal life, the zoe is the Greek word. The, the abundant life is possible through Jesus alone. Hear the promise. See the promise and the presence that brings life. The invitation is this. Come alive through me. As you follow me, as you trust me, life becomes the byproduct. His application, the application is this, that he is the vine, I am the branch. So I need to see myself as an apprentice, as a student, as someone who abides and remains in him, a a branch connected to the vine. Now don't miss this. I want to wrap up with this thought. Is there a high cost to being a disciple? Because some of you, you're hearing me speak for the last 20 minutes or so, and you're like, holy smokes. Like, I got to like give up my old life and follow him. I got to like resign my right to be right and let Jesus be right. Yes, there is a high cost. Jesus asks for all. All. He calls us to surrender ourselves to his lordship. He is Lord. Jesus once said to his followers, why do you call me Lord and not obey my commands? That is not a Lord. You obey a Lord. Jesus calls us to his lordship. He says, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, take up her cross, and follow me. That is the calling. To to be a disciple, Jesus is my way. Jesus is my truth. It's a very high calling, but I don't want you to miss this, and Jesus doesn't want you to miss this. His offer is the reward of life. The return is greater. I mean, the investment is great, but the return is far greater. Jesus is inviting us to follow him, to give up our our right to be right, to give up our ways, and to pattern our life after him. And as we do, we will find the life that we were searching for in the first place. Jesus, he goes on, he says, look, if you follow me and you trust me, you're going to find that even as you are, you know, taking up your own cross, you're going to find as you cling to me... I am the bread of life that will satisfy you the way nothing else can. I am the light of the world that will illuminate the path and show you right from wrong and show you truth from lies. I, am, I have come, he said in John 10, 10, I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. He said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life and even if you believe it, if you believe in me, even though you die, you will live forever. You can have eternal life if you follow me. He says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you remain in me, if you hold to me, you will bear much fruit. He's inviting us to this life that as we follow him, as we trust him, we can be like him. Like, let that land for just a minute. And just remove the flannel graph, stuffy vision of Jesus that you've allowed to occupy your mind and get a vision for Jesus in your spirit for a moment. The one who is full of grace and full of truth, who, who touched people and freed them and healed them, who had insight and wisdom to, to go into every moment of life, one whose words actually brought life. Just envision Jesus for a moment. And he says, follow me. You can be like me. You can be good like me. You can be wise like me. You can be kind like me. You can be merciful like me. You can be gentle like me and mighty like me. You can be just like me. You can be generous like me. You can be immortal like me. You can be glorious like me, Jesus says. That's the invitation. And so I want you to get this, and I want you to hear that in his invitation here. Yes, I am the singular way. I am the singular truth. But I also am that which brings, I am he who brings you to real life. There is a cost to discipleship, but the cost to not follow him is far greater. It's far greater. It brings about death. Dallas Willard, he said it like this in in his book. I love this. He calls it the cost of non-discipleship. He said, the cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the price paid to walk with Jesus. Non-discipleship costs us abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, Faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. Power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. You lose that if you don't follow Jesus. That's the cost of not following him. In short, he says, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. And John 10, 10, I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. The correct perspective, Willard says, is to see following Christ not only as the necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. That's the invitation is... Jesus is inviting you to. Life on the highest plane. The fulfillment of the highest human possibilities. So the cost is great to follow Jesus, but the cost of not following him is even greater. The return is there. Jesus once said in a a parable, he said, you know, count the cost of following me. And he actually wants you to do the math there. Like to actually assess, you know, if I follow Jesus, it's going to cost me my opinion at times, my right to be right, what I feel like I want to do, it's going to cost me you know, my own lordship, but if I don't follow Jesus, it's going to cost me life everlasting, it's going to cost me eternal peace, it's going to cost me hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging circumstances. That's what you give up by not following Jesus. So Jesus would tell you today, as I wrap up, He'd say, you know what? Your life, there's going to be costs associated with your life. Choose wisely. Pay the price wisely. Count the cost wisely and follow me and you will live. That's the invitation He gives us. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when He invites us to the life, it's about our being. To be Christian is to become like Jesus as we live life with Jesus. It's derivative. I don't want people leaving here today going out and saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like make myself like Jesus and that's how it works. As you trust Him, as you follow Him, you become like Him. It's something He does internally. It's like fruit coming out of a branch that is connected to the vine. This is what Jesus is inviting us. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. He says, follow me and really live. I want to pray for us today. And... I felt like the Lord was just saying to us, King's Church, follow me. Like, hear that in your spirit for a minute, wherever you are today. If you're at West, if you're at Halifax, you're online. Jesus is saying to you, follow me. Walk after me. Pursue me with your whole self. Let me have access to the whole of your life. Don't compartmentalize Don't say this is a Christian issue, but this is a me issue. All of your life is a Christian issue. Follow me, Jesus is saying. Do you hear the call today? I've been hearing it. I think that's one of the main things that's happening in this season as the winds of COVID and as the winds of the economy and as the winds of politics blow, Jesus is saying, will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you root your life in my word? Will you root yourself in my presence, trusting that you will be like a tree planted by streams of water? Your leaf does not wither. You bear fruit in your season. In all you do, you'll prosper. I believe it. I believe that's what God is calling us to do today, to follow him. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for this invitation. And God, I want to pray over King's Church right now. Even as the Spirit is calling us to follow Jesus, as you are inviting us into all truth. God, I want to ask for your help today. For myself and my brothers and sisters, would you give us help in our following? Would you help us trust you? Would you help us learn the way? Lord, would you give us great grace that allows us to to, to follow you? And if we fall, there's grace. But God, would it motivate us to keep going, to keep pursuing, to never stop? Lord, we don't arrive. We're always being transformed from glory to glory forever and ever. God, as we hear, hear this call to follow you, I pray today that we would see ourselves... As apprentices, that we'd learn to walk in your way, even as the old song goes, we'd learn to walk in your way. Would you help us learn your thoughts, God, with the meditations of our thoughts, with the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart? Would it be pleasing to you? Would you give us your thoughts? God, I pray for renewed minds right now. Lord, even right now, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you touch us, King's Church? And would you just shift something in our minds where we start seeing ourselves as disciples primarily? That I am a follower of Jesus before I'm a Canadian. I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm a father. I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm a husband. I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm a friend. Would we see our fundamental identity as followers of Jesus? Would we take your yoke upon us? Would we learn from you? And will we become like you as we receive the life that only you can give us. Thank you for your invitation, Jesus. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this season. We say we are not out of step, that this, the way you're disciplining your church, this is something that you're doing, and we say, Lord, do it. Root us deeper, refine us, transform us, and bring about new life, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. Love you, church.